Since it is cantate sade, and uh, you may not know the long Lutheran history of cantatas, J.S. Bach wrote cantatas around the sermon. Sometimes he would do them directly before the sermon. Sometimes they were so long he had to do them before and after the sermon. Since it's cantate Sunday, I thought we'd do like maybe a very low version of a cantata that we're going to mix around and do different verses of our sermon hymn with different voices and orchestrations, uh, brass. I'm going to play guitar. Mary's going to play piano. Then we're going to put it all back together on the last set of verses. I'd like to talk a little bit about our sermon then, and we'll kind of intersperse the sermon between the verses of our sermon hymn, which is a wonderful hymn. To begin, uh, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. We are celebrating the fifth Sunday of Easter. By the way, uh, the reason why the bulletins were late is I put a study guide in the bulletins and it took me longer to get it put together. If you want a study guide, probably grab a bulletin, otherwise you're fine. There are some in the back yet. The fifth Sunday of Easter is cantate. It means, cantate means sing to the Lord. Uh, and as much as I wanted to try to cut down verses of our sermon hymn, uh, this is one of Martin Luther's uh, hymns that he wrote. It was in his original hymnal in Wittenberg, uh, and every verse is good. I sat there like, okay, I, I, we can't sing 10 verses, we gotta sing like six. So I tried to cut a verse here. No, I can't cut that one. Try to cut this verse. No, I can't cut that verse. And after a while, I just gave up. And we're going to sing all ten verses. That's the only option we've got left. Um, so we're going to kind of go back and forth between these things. It tells a wonderful story, Martin Luther's hymn, about the sinner being crushed by sin, but also the plan of God bringing Jesus into the world and saving us from our sins. And it is just one of the best proclamations of gospel that you could hope for. So we're going to kind of put together our own cantata, singing with lots of different voices and also interspersing this teaching. You might ask, why are we jumping all the way back into John 16? Because we're already past that. John 16 happens on the night of the Lord's Last Supper. Uh, well, in this text today, he's telling the future. This is what's going to happen after I go. And I think there's two ideas here that we could be looking at. Number one, he means literally when he's crucified and he goes into the tomb and he's gone out of their sight for three days. But probably he's actually referring to something even farther in the future, his ascension into heaven. When he ascends up and the apostles are looking at him as he goes and he kind of disappears from sight and then the angels say, why are you standing around looking into heaven? You've got work to do to the disciples. So this is probably what he's getting at. Um, and it is a comforting bit of Scripture. You might wonder, well, why? How is it comforting? That's what I want to talk about today. Jesus, before chapter 16, had already told them, I'm going to leave you, right? I'm going to my Father's house. This John 14, you know, um, uh, and the, the whole way, truth, and life conversation. He's already told them that, and you, he can tell that they're upset. Well, you're leaving. Is everything over? Is this ministry over? Is this... this uh, Ushering in of the kingdom that you're bringing, is that over? Is all this over? No. The ministry of Jesus, the preaching of the gospel, the healings, the miracles, the provision, the sacraments are going to continue in the church. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is going to continue to work. And at this point in history, the church is the disciples. But later it will be, of course, a large, beautiful thing. The Holy Spirit will come and he will be our paraclete. This is a really hard word to understand. 
Uh, it means it can be described as counselor, friend. Uh, um, in the ancient church, they referred to the paraclete as the spirit of Jesus, uh, which really I think makes a lot of sense. Um, the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to communicate to us God's word. He's going to feed us with the sacraments. The Holy Spirit's coming to live in us through the waters of holy baptism. Uh, and that, that faith, that joy is going to just spring up within us. Jesus is offering to the disciples and to all of us who go through the doldrums of life a message of hope. But Jesus also tells us that the Spirit is going to be at the work of convicting the world. Now, you probably read those verses and wondered, like, what exactly is Jesus talking about in terms of convicting the world, right? Uh, convicting is not in the sense of like a courtroom setting, but convicting in the sense of shaming, judging uh, the world, convincing the world that it needs to repent of its sin. Now, we might ask ourselves, are we in the world? Well, in this conversation, Jesus is having probably not. We're not in the world because he's speaking of the disciples and he's speaking of the world. So the disciples are believers. The world is unbelievers. That's the kind of metaphor Jesus is playing with here. The world is everyone who is outside of the faith in Jesus Christ. Now, it may seem hard to understand, but Jesus means this as hope for us. We may endure slings and arrows. The powers of this world might mock, ridicule, or even persecute us like the disciples and like our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world, in Africa, in India, in China, and other places. They might persecute us, but the Holy Spirit is at work revealing the world's sin, revealing its fake righteousness and its false judgments. So, with that introduction. Let us sing Martin Luther's hymn, uh, the first three verses, and learn about the problem of sin. Well, beginning first, the Holy Spirit will convict the world according to sin. It's difficult to live by God's word. Living by the world's judgments is easier. Taking what you want, thinking of yourself above all others, is the sin we are born into, and it is the easiest thing to fall backwards into. It is our natural default setting. Thanks be to God that Jesus thought of us above himself and crucified our sin on the cross. He also sends his Holy Spirit to live in our heart, to write the law there, according to Jeremiah, and to be our conscience. And the Spirit gives us faith to believe and to trust that we are something more than just flesh, just people who live in this world. We can turn from our selfish ways to live to God. Now this is the generous work of convicting us of our sin and healing us with the gospel. But the Holy Spirit also convicts the world of its sin. How? Through us. Through the church. Through the preaching of a message that men and women still reject and still fear that is truth. 
Through the church and its people, God will preach and teach a message of forgiveness, hope, and salvation to the world. He will shame the world of its selfish, sinful ways. We will not be left alone against the world, but we are in fact members of the body of Christ and his bride, living for him and shaming the world of its sin and pride. This might require us to tell the truth occasionally and be willing to sacrifice our earthly pleasure for eternal joy. Not ours. Ours is secure in Christ. In fact, it is the joy of those who have still, they need and desire to hear God's word of hope and reconciliation. We can let the Holy Spirit speak through us to convict the world according to its sin. Let us now sing verses 4 through 6. Concerning righteousness, our text has in it two kinds of righteousness that Jesus is referring to. The righteousness of the world and the righteousness of God. The righteousness of the world is flawed because it cares more about looking right or being seen as right. We live in a culture now where you must be perfect if you make even one mistake. Even when you are younger, it can be found and you will be shamed by the modern Pharisees for your sins against tolerance and progressivism. Carefully curated images of ourselves we publish to the world forever worried that someone might discover our fatal flaw, our worst sin. Worst of all, most of the judges of righteousness, the gatekeepers and the powerful are no more righteous than any of us. The righteousness of this world is hollow, but the righteousness of Jesus is our hope and our joy. For God was indeed righteous and holy, so was his son, perfect and righteous, And yet we see the ultimate form of righteousness in that the Father sends his Son, his perfect Son, to broken people. The Son dies to forgive sinful man. God shames the false and putrid righteousness of man by declaring us righteous on behalf of what his Son has done. His Son lived perfectly. His Son died to pay the sins of man. And his son rose again, defeating death and the devil. This is the righteousness of God. It is given to us. It is not something we do or earn or claim. It is given. Through us, the Holy Spirit continues to hold our righteousness up to the world. And by doing so, shames it of its false and wicked forms of righteousness. We sing verses 7 and 8. And on these verses, I will play my get get fiddle. The Holy Spirit convicts the world according to its judgments. Jesus says concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The ruler of this world that Jesus is referring to is the devil. He is a liar, and we see it so many times in the scriptures. But most especially do we see it at the temptation of Jesus. Lies upon lies, uh, the devil twisting even scripture itself to try to get Jesus to fall into temptation. Since the world is the devil's plaything, we see that the world's judgments are just as false as he is. Look at how the world judged Jesus for a prime example. It called him a blasphemer for telling the truth. 
He finally says out loud what we all know and what it is right. It's the right time to say it. He claims that he is the Son of God. And by I say claims, he takes that title for himself. I am the Son of God. And for Jesus, telling the truth and announcing this gospel joy to us, he is killed. They also accuse and convict Jesus in a way that he is an insurrectionist. How dare he speak against Caesar or Pilate? How dare he claim that he is a king, even though he is a king? We don't want to lose what we have. Our crumbs from Rome's table. No, let us instead kill the king of life. These are the judgments of the world. God has judgments. He has judged this world and us and sin and even the devil. He has devoted the devil and his minions for destruction. But his judgment on us is filled with so much more mercy. He will instead annihilate his son on an instrument of torture than to lose a single one of you, his precious sheep. The judgments of God are always right, but thanks be to God that they are also filled with compassion and mercy. And it is this. In these righteous judgments that God shames the world for its false judgments. In our world, in our country even, we seem to get the justice we deserve, or in some instances, the justice that we can afford. But in the eyes of God, we all receive the same justice. We are judged, and when God judges us, He sees not our sins, but He sees the Savior of the world. We are covered with Christ's blood, and it indeed frees us from despair and fear. How does God judge the world? Again, through us, through the work of the church, the work of the Holy Spirit, the preaching of the gospel, people willing to tell the truth about life, about humanity, about society. The truth that we learn not from some other person, but we learn from the word of God. We are not beholden to the world's judgments or the ruler of this world, our judgments come from God, and he's shown them to us in his word. We sing our last two verses. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we are relieved. The world may teeter towards destruction and unbelief every day. But the Holy Spirit is busy through the Word, through the church, and through us, convicting the world of its sin, its judgments, and its righteousness. Will this make life easier for us in this world that we live now? No. We will suffer scorn and shame. We might be cast out and deserted. Persecution may even come, but let us not fear the truth to tell the truth to a broken world. We are not residents of this fallen world. We are citizens and kingdoms of mansions, uh, citizens of kingdoms and mansions above. Let us put our hope and our joy not in the pleasures and things of this world, but in forgiveness of sins eternal life, and a new heavens and new earth, where we will live one day free from this world's sin, its broken righteousness, and its flawed judgments. In the name of Jesus, amen.